Hello, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. My name is Tanya Kara. I'm one of the technical directors at ENN, and I'm also co-coordinator of the Wasting Stunting Technical Interest Group, or WAST-TIG. I'm here today with two members of the WAST-TIG, Michelle Garen and Susan Thurstons, and we're going to be chatting specifically about work that they have led for the group, looking at sex differences in undernutrition in children. Now, as background for those who don't know the WASTIG, it is a group of 40 experienced researchers and policymakers that ENN convened for the first time back in 2014 and tasked the group with exploring the relationship between wasting and stunting. These two forms of undernutrition had been considered separately for the most part up until then in research, programming and a policy level. And really, we wanted to explore whether that separation was justified or even helpful when it came to achieving impacts on reducing levels of undernutrition globally. So thank you, Susan and Michelle, for joining me. We're going to be talking specifically about sex differences in undernutrition, which is an area that very early on in the work of the WASTIG, we identified these differences in patterns of wasting and stunting from survey data between girls and boys. And this led to us wanting to look into the area more deeply. So I wanted to ask you first if you could both introduce yourselves. Um, I'm a demographer. Uh, I work mostly on health issues in Africa. Um, originally started with infectious disease and undernutrition. Then I worked on uh, HIV AIDS quite a bit. Uh, I worked also on marriage issues because they are related with HIV AIDS. Uh, I worked on fertility issue also because uh, limiting fertility also has something to do with limiting uh, sexually transmitted disease. And uh, thanks to you, I've been working again on, on nutrition. That was a good, uh, good things to do. The population approach uh, on health issues are uh, very different from uh, what people do in clinical research or in, uh, in uh, infectious disease from the clinical point of view, always looking at uh, what is happening in a population. And sometimes you find very big differences between uh, what clinicians think and what uh, demographers find in the, in the population yeah. because of the many interactions between uh, behavior, biology, and uh, uh, what is happening in, uh, I mean, all the interaction also with social economic status. Yes, and it's been so wonderful to have you as a member of the Wasting Stunting Technical Interest Group, Michelle, bringing that well, chiming with our hearts as public health nutritionists, um, bringing that, that population view has been so valuable for us. My 
background is clinical and I'm a nurse and a midwife as, as my background and I have 18 years now been working um, in humanitarian health and nutrition, fallen into nutrition a little bit more. I started off more in the HIV side of things and then yeah, have fallen, sometimes kicking and screaming, um, <laughs> into maternal and child health. Well, we're glad you fell. <laughs> um, but yes, mostly under nutrition. Yeah, I'm very privileged to work in lots of different countries, lots of emergency work. And right now I'm a PhD student at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, um, working alongside Marco Carrick. I'm also very privileged to work with ENN on the wasting and stunting and sex services side of things. So teaming up, bringing research and, and thinking about, I guess, translating that into programmatic thinking. Excellent. So I thought today it would be really nice to hear your experience. Um, perhaps you first, Michelle, of when did you first become interested in this topic of how boys and girls might be differently affected by undernutrition? Well, this is a long story. When I was a graduate student, I was working on mortality issues. And one of the classic issues in demography is about sex differences in mortality and morbidity. So I was interested in the topic for a long time. And at that time, the the idea was that in developed countries, it was causes of death that were making the differences between men and women and boys and girls. But then there was a number of papers coming from India and Bangladesh showing that there were other things going on in India and Bangladesh. So that was in the early 1980s, a long time ago, 40 years ago. The, the first study was the Kana study, which was conducted in Punjab which showed, first of all, that there was female infanticide in, in Punjab, and also that there was uh, discrimination against girls. Huh? Um, after I finished uh, graduating uh, from my, my PhD, I went to Senegal, and I started working on infectious disease, mainly uh, measles and whooping cough. And we had a totally different experience. First of all, there was no excess female mortality there. Uh, and, but if you were looking at uh, sex differences in mortality for under five mortality, there was no difference or hardly any. Uh, there was a slight excess male mortality and there was no evidence. We looked at everything. There was no evidence of any discrimination uh, for children. I mean, zero to five. No discrimination against children in terms of breastfeeding, uh, treatment, uh, vaccination, uh, and so on and so forth. And then uh, we started working on nutritional status with André Briand and with two other colleagues. And that was in 1983. And of course, when we started uh, having data based on population-based data on nutritional status, we found again that there was no uh, differences between uh, female and males. Huh? So again, the children zero to five. Huh? And if anything, there was a sl uh, slightly more uh, uh, malnutrition amongst the boys and among the girls, but the differences were very tiny. Huh? So we decided to um, forget about the, those issues and to not work any, uh, anymore on those issues. Now, in the early 1990s, there was a lot of work on uh, uh, gender issues uh, in American universities, at the UN, at WHO. So there were a lot of things going on, and there were uh, studies investigating, uh, again, 
discrimination against girls, and most of those studies didn't find much. Huh? There was a big report by uh, by the UN and uh, with the WHO and with uh, American universities on sex differences in mortality published in the mid-1990s. Huh? And again, they found uh, excess male mortality. And there were still a few people who were trying to uh, uh, argue that there were some cases in Africa where you could find discrimination against girls. Huh? So uh, this was the, the idea of the paper that I wrote at that time, the, the late 90s, early, early 20s, showing that uh, the distribution of sex differences in mortality by country or by survey was really what you expect if you assume no difference between the two. And again, we're looking more at wasting than at stunting at that time. And argument was that there was no no important differences. If there were differences, they were tiny, not of any public health significance. And the issue came again with you guys a few years ago when you started again, and where you did point out that stunting was another issue. Wasting was an issue with very little differences between boys and girls, uh, but for stunting and especially for the combined, mm -hmm. the concurrent wasting and stunting, there were some significant difference. But there were something going on with uh, stunting. Uh, honestly, I discovered that with you. I mean, we uh, ignored the problem uh, before. Thanks to your group that we started looking at this more carefully. Yeah. Right. Gosh, it's so great to hear the history going isn't back. It really interesting, isn't it? To 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 how you came to to be looking at well, repeatedly looking at this issue um, with different um, data and different contexts. And yes, as you say, the the work of the wasting stunting technical interest group, we had particularly honed in on looking at those children who are both wasted and stunted at the same time. Yeah, and that's found a new concept. There, yeah. And found there this pattern when we were looking at smart surveys, when we were looking at DHS surveys, that boys did seem to be more vulnerable to that dual deficit of being both wasted and stunted. So, yes, yeah, that's where we, we came together to start looking at it. Very good idea, yes. Very, very nice initiative. Susan, where did your interest in this topic? I, think I came in a lot later, clearly. <laughs> um, and I came in, so I, I have a, um, a long working relationship with Marco Kerak. So we worked together in Malawi years back, and he... He, as part of the Wasting yes. Stunting Group as yeah. well, but um, he and Andy Seal had a conversation at late, and I think it was very much in response to um, people had been seeing higher numbers of boys um, in programmes, and the interpretation of that um, in, in many field programmes without a lot of this background knowledge was that it was a result of discrimination against girls and that that was the reason why we're seeing it in different parts of the world. I think it was a really good example of Yemen where really high numbers of boys in treatment programs compared with girls. And mm -hmm. yeah, the, the interpretation is very much that something's going wrong in, in case finding, in coverage, and that it's, it's discrimination is not actually what's happening. 
Right. Um, so something wrong with the, how the programme is being the program run. And the interpretation. And of course, you know, we, we live in a, a, a world now, all of our programming is, is suited towards integrating gender and addressing mm. gender. And, you know, it was the interpretation was something that's going wrong with that. Um, and so I decided to, to join with Marco and, and undertook PhD with this question and really looking at, I guess, defining the, the problem. Um, again, by the sounds of it, but really defining the problem, you know, first of all, is it really the case that there are more boys or more girls and trying to address some of those geographical nuances that, that have been seen? And then just thinking about what the implications are. So are there implications in terms of treatment outcomes? Are there implications in terms of mortality? And so that's I guess, the essence of, of the research I'm doing. And yeah, and of course, it's alongside a lot of the work of the wasting and stunting. And so we are looking at it in a slightly different, um, from a slightly different angle and considering wasting and stunting within that as well. Yes, yeah, so it was a kind of a meeting of the meeting of two meeting agendas, of the yeah. agenda. Um, and you know, it's been it's been really great from the point of view of the of the wasting stunting technical <clears throat> interest group to have you focusing on this, but also interacting with the group <clears throat> in a in a kind of advisory role. So this you did a big analysis. We did basically. Um, 44 studies? 44 studies. Well, it was actually 76 studies. We, it was essentially a meta-analysis, um, systematic review and, and meta-analysis. And what we were looking at, um, we had a couple of research questions within that. So first of all, that was, are there differences? And how are these differences recognised within, within papers? How are they reported? What what comes out of those discussions in terms of interpretations to the reasons why. And the scope of that was huge. Yeah. You know? So we, we ended up with huge numbers. When you think about your search criteria, it's boys, girls, malnutrition, and that's every paper that's ever been written. So trying to narrow that down was quite tricky, but we narrowed it down to about 76. And out of those um, papers, only 44 had, had sufficient data to, to extract. And that was data either presented in a way that you know the numbers of boys the numbers of girls the numbers of wasted stunted and underweight were all presented clearly enough to to extract them from the paper we found for all three measures that we were looking at which was wasting stunted and underweight that boys had a, a higher chance of being undernourished than the girls did um but we found small country nuances and regional differences um, mostly South and Southeast Asia, um, and one case of Central America as well. But that was very much it. It was one single study, so we we've written that off okay. as as a sample size issue. But for South and Southeast Asia, there was a, a reverse of the pattern, but very small again. You know, so all of these differences were small, but it it was reversed in, in South and Southeast Asia in some areas. But again, really notable in that area was that the studies that we had to extract or um, exclude from the meta-analysis were because the data wasn't sufficient quality. Right. So I don't know whether the results would have been magnified because a lot of those studies that we did exclude reported higher instances, higher rates of um, girls compared with boys. So hard to know because we had to exclude them what would be, you know, mm. what we would have seen, but... I imagine it's a little um, reversal of, of patterns, having, right. having read those stories. Right. 
And you mentioned South Southeast Asia. In the in that 44 studies, what kind of spread of countries and regions did you have? Did it cover the yeah I the think globe? I don't remember the number, but it was uh, more than 30 countries. So that covered Africa, um, Central America, um, and and Asia. So yeah, very mm. very widespread. This was quite a new finding. Is that fair to say? Not a new finding, <laughs> as Michelle mm. um, very much knows. Um, I think within the sector, um, it's, it's not known. You know, it's, yeah. we, we, we are programmes within the sector to understand that women and girls are, are at risk. Women and girls, and quite mm. rightly, because they are. You know, they, they face many, many challenges. So my, my background is health, um, mm. and we understand in, in neonatal health, neonatal medicine, um, infant health, that boys generally have a genetic biological disadvantage in, in comparison to girls. Um, and most of what, or some of what I'm trying to do in, in the research that I'm doing is extract those findings from, from other health fields and try and apply them to undernutrition, to try and understand what differences stem from genetic biological differences and what's socially programmed and and what's preventable what's you know treatable manageable um and think about it so no it's it's definitely not a new finding but it's it's new to the sector and i don't think always well received in the sector either when when we published the paper that that i've just described um even the reaction on on the journal website that it was published on and then on Twitter was really interesting because, you know, there were some people singing the praises, saying, hooray, you know, we've been saying this for years. Um, you know, it's, it's great that, that people are starting to recognise this, but there was a lot of a lot of defensive response as well, saying, you know, this is just another blow to girls. And, and that's not the point, you know. The point is to understand childhood vulnerability, is, is to look at children as children, um, not pick out boys or girls and yes absolutely and I think within the within the wasting stunting technical interest group as well you know the the, the group was set up to explore yes um so there was this this openness to seeing what mm. came out of the data yeah. but equally many people in the group were were surprised mm. yeah. that that yeah. had come out yes yeah as a pattern yes. in the data. Yeah, my, my master's, I teach on the nutrition in emergencies module. Um, and I always ask them as a class, and generally 75% of students will say girls over boys. And it's a really surprising finding for mm. lots of people. But I wanted to come back to you, Michelle, because you have also been looking at data across in your, in your most recent paper, looking at, at national survey data. Um, and what have been some of the key findings coming out um, from your investigation of these patterns in national surveys? Well, you know, the, the demographic and health surveys have a lot of information on a number of issues, uh, not only fertility and mortality, but also on nutritional status. So I've been looking at uh, nutritional status of adults early on uh, with the DHS, and I've been looking also uh, at nutritional status among the young children, the zero to five, they cover only the zero to five with the DHS data. So when the issues about sex differences came back, 
a few years ago, I started looking at those data. Uh, so what I did is to look at the at those uh, African data. So there are a large number of surveys now. I think it's 128 uh, in uh, 36 countries. So sometimes you have repeated surveys in the same country. And this provides a huge data set in which you can investigate tiny differences. The, the main uh, point of using a large data set is to look at very small uh, issues, very small differences. Huh? And this is how we, we discovered that uh, difference between boys and girls, stunting and uh, combined stunting and wasting, were concentrated in the very early ages. Uh, so you, you need big samples to, to investigate that sort of, uh, of difference. Uh, we, we can discuss that a little bit more, but uh, if you start looking at the data by uh, weight and height and redo your all, your, all your computations about disco and everything, then you find very, very nice patterns. Usually the data are extremely reliable and you see it when you investigate several surveys in the same country, the data are very consistent. The okay. nice thing about Africa is that it's a very heterogeneous continent. So you have countries which are extremely advanced, I mean, close to uh, European countries and countries which are really at the beginning of the health transition. So of course, when you have a big sample like this, you can investigate also the effect of uh, the general health status, which can be summarized by uh, under five mortality, but you can take also life expectancy or whatever you want. And because you have so those big differences in Africa between countries. Uh, and that was what we discovered when we did this study is that in fact, the lower the mortality, so the better the health status, the bigger are the differences between boys and girls. So that was also a new finding. We never looked at this before. Huh? And again, this is expected because if you look at mortality studies in Europe in the 19th and 20th century, you will find also that the gap between boys and girls or between men and women for adults is increasing when mortality goes down. When the health status goes uh, improves, the women and the girls in particular benefit more than the boys for reasons that we don't fully understand. But in the African data, that was the same. When you look at the relationship between the level of mortality and the sex differences in uh, nutritional status, you'll find a bigger gap in the more advanced countries, so the ones with the lower prevalence and a lower gap in the very high mortality or mobility or undernutrition situations. So that's a new, a new argument to uh, explain, uh, trying to explain those differences. Yes, it, which bring, it does bring us to that question, doesn't it? Of that we see these patterns. There's a big question of why, um, what are some of the factors that we feel are causing those patterns or what's the what does the evidence say about what the causes of that are but then also what are the implications are there implications for programs for policy and for research so I know Susan you have another paper that you've been working on uh, together with the last two, looking at those reasons, mm. what's coming out of the evidence in terms of why do we see these patterns? So we, we essentially, we took in, in doing the systematic review and meta-analysis, we identified a huge amount of literature that didn't necessarily feed into a meta-analysis, but might 
contribute to understanding or you know providing evidence into understanding these differences. And so that's that's what we did with this. This is more of a narrative review, taking the, the papers um, that didn't fit into the first one and, and looking at breaking it down into a more of a life cycle way of looking at things, understanding from preconception all the way through to, to childhood where some of the differences might take place. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, one of the conclusions is, is, is that it's incredibly complex, the different layers of, of vulnerability and, and picking those apart is, is very difficult. But we tried a little bit. That's what we looked at, um, you know, the gestational period and, and, and what happens during that. And we, we came across some different evidence that <clears throat> quite consistently shows that boys um, are vulnerable in the womb from, from very early on, especially in conditions of deprivation of, you know, where, where food is, is not readily available, nutrients are not readily available. When we measure birth outcomes in terms of birth weight, we understand that boys are bigger. Um, but what we, what we miss with those numbers is, um, is some of the complexities of how boys and girls grow differently and how um, the, the placenta um, from a boy and a girl are, are very different and function, function or might not have reserve capacity in the case of boys to support their growth. So boys grow faster in the womb compared to girls. And that means they're drawing on more reserves and they tend to draw on a mother's current diet more than their, their long-term diet, which is the case of girls. So girls have lovely ability in the womb to, to build up these lovely layers of fat, which then post birth, um, they're, they're smaller, but they've got more reserves to, to, to draw on. Whereas boys are very differently and they're using up those reserves before they're born. And so whilst they might come up bigger, they come out more vulnerable. Um, so there's, there's, there's that layer of things. And then um, we also looked at the immune function and, and endocrine systems of boys, um, and they're very different. You know, the hormonal systems that support the immune system are um, potentially not as strong in, in boys as they might be in girls. So again, girls are better at fighting infection. Um, we know the relationship between infection and, and undernutrition um, as the girls have a little advantage in terms of um, some of their hormone levels um, and the capacity of their, their immune systems to, to, to fight infection, to, to prevent malnutrition from, from that sort of things. We also looked at some of the um, maternal child feeding practices. Um, and there's, there's some very small, um, not terribly strong, or robust evidence looking at um, milk that's made for boy babies compared with milk that a mother makes for girl babies and, and the different composition of that milk. It's really, really hard to, to comment on and, and draw anything strong in terms of conclusions from that. But then we also looked at different practices and, and Michelle's looked at this in the past a little bit as well with the, the Africa study. And, but looking at the way that boys and girls grew up in the home and and the different exposures, environmental exposures that boys and girls have. And, and again, this differs around the world. So um, whether it's preferential treatment towards boys and, and in the way that they're fed, some of that is, is reversed in, in giving formula um, milk to, to boy babies over girls with a, a conception that you know, it's, it's superior to breast milk. Um, there are other studies which talk about boys being 
out playing, expending more energy, more exposure to environmental pathogens, um, whereas girls are kept a little closer to home and you know have, have more access to that, you know, picking food from the cooking pot as, as the day goes on. And so there, there are loads and loads of different potential you know, sources of, of, again, differences in, in the way that they're raised to add to those, those complexities. And then we looked at the way that we measure boys and girls as well, um, and the different indicators that we use, the different measures. So generally we use weight and height um, and age, and then we have MUAC as well. Um, and there are some theories around the use of MUAC with boys. Um, and how we use this one cutoff point for boys and girls between six months to 59 months in comparison to you know, weight for height Z scores, which are um, really tailored for each, each age group and, and sex. Um, and the, the idea being that boys have more to lose from um, when it comes to MUAC. Um, and so generally MUAC will identify more girls than it will boys. So they have more to lose because they're starting to start bigger. bigger. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, you know, as you say, there's so many different factors mm. that can play in. And obviously a lot of those factors are maybe contextual, but we have a pattern that goes that seems to go across contexts. So seems to go across cultures mm -hmm. and across social different practices mm -hmm. so are there some of the explanations that you you find more compelling because of that i think there's some of the studies we looked at um in countries where there is a preference for boys um there we saw reverse trends and that is you know the, mm. the way that boys and girls are fed depending on birth order and the number of siblings of a certain sex um, something like that, you know, the, the social side of things have had enough influence to, to switch patterns around. Um, small right. numbers, again, yeah. but it, it did, it, it had the power. And that's, that's why it's picking apart all of these reasons is really difficult because we have the genetic vulnerability. So the, um, boys and girls born at the same gestation are thought to be about four to six weeks apart in terms mm. of their development. So girls are already or six weeks ahead of a boy when they're born, if they're born at the same gestation. Um, so there's, there, there is something there. They have, their hormone systems are different, their immune systems are different. So there is something already very early on that supports girls. But then social practices you know, in, in these contexts are strong enough to, to turn those patterns right. around. I think the biggest effect that, that I've seen, and I, I think it's similar for you, Michelle, is, um, is those bigger indicators and it's the importance of addressing infection right it's the importance of addressing larger wealth and socioeconomic status and I think that's where you have the biggest benefit in terms of those differences and so I think you know it's not quite so simple as pulling how a child is fed how a child is, yeah. is you know um gender preference I think that you know there are a number of, of things that, that add, added together um, results in those more pronounced differences that you see between boys and girls. It's very complex, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I mean, wasting is really related to infectious disease and to food, the food intake. Yeah? 
Whereas uh, stunting is really related with the hormones, I mean, the, the growth hormones, the leptin or whatever. And the dynamics between uh, the hormones and the rest is terribly complex. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think we are far of being able to understand what's going on. Let me also recall you that uh, by age eight, eight years, the girls have uh, catched up in terms of uh, height. Huh? They, they are about the same height as the boys, whatever the situation is, even in Senegal or elsewhere. So basically they, they grow faster between uh, four and eight than the boys. Huh? And this cannot be related to the environment, must be, must be hormonal, of course. Huh? Because it happens even in uh, situations where the girls are much smaller by ages, say, two or three. Yeah? So here we don't understand what's going on. Uh, I, at least I don't understand what's going on. So given that, <laughs> there's much still we don't understand based on this, uh, the analysis and so far. What are some of the things that we can say to programmers or to people working at policy level. I was just thinking, coming back to what you said at the beginning, Susan, of how you came to this, mm. was um, that experience of people working in programs on the ground that are treating wasting and seeing more boys coming into the program, being admitted, feeling there's an issue with the program that they needed to do something about. Mm. Um, how does what we know now um, impact what we would say to people, or does it affect what we would say to people working programs in the field? Oh. For me, the first message is to say that the differences between boys and girls are tiny. Huh? So mm -hmm. don't waste your time on this. I mean, there are much bigger issues related with poverty, food intake, infectious disease, far, far bigger issues than looking at boys and girls. Treatment, I think, should be the same. Uh, again, when we were discussing those issues in the 1980s, the treatment should be the same and the weight gains are the same and the way children recover is basically the same for boys and girls. Now, for the number of admissions, you have to remember first that there are more boys than girls who are, who are born and then uh, that the boys are slightly more susceptible. So it's normal to find more boys and girls in your clinic. Yeah? Well, you shouldn't have a twice as many, but you, if you have 10% or 15% many more boys and girls, that's normal. This is what you expect uh, in a normal situation. No? So for me, those are the two main messages. Huh? I think implications are very limited. Right yeah, I, I think um, in all of the, the work that I've been doing, I think, Data quality has come out as something really important. Okay. Um, and mm. trying to standardize the way that we, we we record our data, because if you've got good data and you can understand your program, um, that, that's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so one of the recommendations we made in the systematic review was to really look at your admission um, numbers and, and look at whether they reflect national patterns of um, something wasting underweight you know, prevalence, incidents, and, and understanding the communities that you work in, you know, understanding your, your coverage. You, if, 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 if everything's going well, you don't need to doubt extra or higher numbers of admissions for boys because there's evidence to say that that's, that's what happens. Um, so in, in that respect, I think implications are very limited. We are doing further work 
And, and in all of the work that we've been doing, um, age has really come up as, as something important as well. And understanding risk in terms of, of age groupings and younger and, and older children. So all of the same questions that we're now asking for sex, we will be asking about age as well. And then we're also looking at some work um, in a mortality cohort, looking at, you know, is, is there a difference? Is, right. And what does it make a difference? Does it make a difference to mortality yeah. risk? So, and again, I suspect those differences yeah. will be very small. And, and Michelle explained at the, at the beginning, you've come back to this question again and again over your... <laughs> over the, yeah, it's funny. Thanks to you. And I mean, what do you see as as outstanding questions or um, what else we should be I'd at. like to, to know more about the dynamics of hormones uh, before birth, in, in utero and also after birth. And also what's happening between age four and eight, I mean, where the girls are catching up mm -hmm. very quickly, right. uh, even when they are malnourished. So... Uh, we uncovered uh, data sets from uh, Senegal from the 1950s where the nutritional situation was even worse than it is now. And the girls are doing fine at the date, and they are doing fine. Now. So there must be some mechanism which makes them grow whatever happens, yeah, including in very tough situations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. It links with what you said, Susan, earlier about mm -hmm. that in utero yes. experience. It's a, it's a overused word, but girls appear to be more resilient in utero, mm -hmm. slower growing, but less susceptible to change in their environment yeah. in, in utero. Yeah. You see yeah, historically, if you look at any of the famine data from from many countries, mm -hmm. you know, it's an a evolutionary biology feeds into this as well. The idea that um, you know, in conditions of deprivation girls will do better girls will survive more girls more girls will be born um right. in in these conditions so a fascinating finding i mean i remember an historian who reviewed all the data on famines in the 19th century mm. and she found that it's always the men and the boys who are suffering the, the worst huh? yeah and people had the opposite uh, pre preconceived idea huh? but uh, but the, and it's comes basically because of body composition. I mean, the girls are far, are far more fat than, than, than the boys, huh? and the women also are far more fat than the, the men, and they resist more. Huh? I guess it's also about how we, what our outcomes that we're interested in are. Yes. Um, interested in are, um, you know, we talk about, we've talked about growth, we've talked about mortality, but obviously there's a lot more in terms of, Morbidity um, mm. and risk mm. later on in life. Yeah, you know, risk of, yeah. of non-communicable diseases and um, you know risks differ between men and women in in later life and um, yeah. So I it, I don't think the issue of sex differences. I you know, it, it does we we stopped childhood in this paper. Yeah, it, it yes. goes on. <laughs> we get excited by different patterns, don't we? <laughs> Confused, confused and excited, but yeah. wanting to get to the bottom of um, the why and also the so what. Um, and I think that that's that's what we're always trying to to get to, aren't we? Um, at the end of the day, the, the so what. And maybe for this example, it's well, 
not really not much not much different um right now yeah no. that's a finding in itself and that's it? okay yeah yeah that's, yeah that's good good to know thank you michelle thank you susan for being with me today to talk about this work and thank you listeners for tuning in to this ENN podcast from the West TIG. Do go to our website if you would like to access the papers that we've been talking about or find out more about the work of the Wasting Stunting Technical Interest Group. Our website is www.ennonline.net and just search for Wasting and Stunting. Thank you.